On this special episode of Movie Geeks United, we welcome to our show special guest Scott Michaels, the leading authority on celebrity death. Scott Michaels is the owner of the Dearly Departed Tours and Gallery, and in my humble opinion, one of the best that Hollywood has to offer. Where other tours offer bland opportunities to simply stargaze, his company's tour revels in the dark and the macabre and offers illuminating trivia and history as the tour whisks the guests to the actual locations where Hollywood tragedies occurred. Scott Michaels also is a collector of Hollywood death memorabilia, which patrons can view in the tour office. In addition, he has released several videos, such as The Dearly Departed Volumes 1 and 2, and Six Degrees of Helter Skelter, all all of which I heartily recommend for anyone interested in celebrity death. It's a pleasure to welcome you to our show. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you so much for uh, for asking me. I, I'm I'm thrilled to be here. I appreciate it. Yes, you are. Uh, you have so many interesting stories, and we will get into some of those later. But we want to start with uh, you know the basics. Where were you born, and uh, what what led you to become fascinated with celebrity death? <laughs> <laughs> well, for I was I'm from Detroit originally. That's where I was born in in the early mm-hmm. '60s. And, uh, and, uh, you know, I was sort of exposed to weird sort of deathy kind of stuff since I was a kid. Uh, uh, I didn't know any different. We, we lived in, uh, in an intersection in Detroit where, you know, there were accidents all the time because it was an odd shaped intersection. And, and, uh, so we could, you know, we'd be we, woken up in the middle of the night. We could hear the screech. We could almost tell if it was going to be impact or not. And uh, so once or twice a year, someone would be killed in front of my house, which sounds really dramatic, but but it's true. And as a little kid, you know, I remember one time they would leave the cars there usually for a couple of days just before, you know, anyone really was, was nuts about towing stuff. And uh, and there was one point where there was this woman that had rolled back when you could still get the uh, uh, the rolled out the seat in the back. Remember, you could get to the trunk to the seat. I don't know if you're, if you're old enough to remember that. but I am, uh, yes. <laughs> there was a woman that uh, that rolled underneath there, and she was there for a couple of days, and that always really kind of stuck with me as really bizarre. And uh, and then through my school years, I, I've known, uh, and it's well since I was in my mid twenties, I knew people about five people that had been murdered, not about exactly five people that had been murdered. You know, it'd be the old wow. schoolmates or people that had worked in stores nearby me. And uh, so again, I'm not trying to be dramatic. It was just the way it was. So uh, those those are things always really interested me. Now my mom my mom was a uh, a homemaker. She uh, she you know raised the four of us, and she had this sort of uh, I don't know. Some people do crossword puzzles, and my mom kind of liked uh, drawing, and and she liked uh, making mosaics and 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 odd sort of crafts like that. And she made these mosaics out of glass that was picked up from car accidents. Uh, it was, again, it wasn't contrived. It was just we did with we did you know she did with what she had the materials that were available. So she'd say to me, right. oh, "We need some red glass. Go outside." And that's back when taillights were really red glass and mirrors were really mirror glass. And uh, so she made mosaics out of these things. So I was sort of desensitized to it, and it sort of ultimately you know led me here to Hollywood and my weird little artifact gallery and my tours. Wow, that's that's very very interesting, and I I was curious because I I too uh, have been I guess lifelong uh, obsession with uh, celebrity death, and I know mine came from when I used to get those Funkin' Wag my grandmother used to get those Funkin' Wagnalls yearbooks, and I would go and they had them up on a shelf, and I 
for some reason out of boredom, I would just grab them and start looking through them, and I came to the obituary section, and uh, each year would have all these people that had passed, and for some reason that's where it started for me. So, and I, I it as it took off into the other realms as we kind of like yours there. So. Yeah, you know, back then, uh, you know, some of the most popular publications were true crime magazines, and, yeah. and people would sort of, uh, they'd buy their magazines and stick them in the back of their grocery bag so no one would see, or in their newspapers, you know, because it was something they were sort of yeah. a guilty, sort of a shame thing, and now... Uh, with the internet, the you know people have come out of the closet. There's there's you know fifty sixty channels, all of them have something true crime on it, and uh, yeah, it's sort of part of our mainstream. But back then, it was kind of dangerous. We uh, we were kind of going against the grain back then. Yeah, yeah, and there was always it was something that I didn't really personally talk about a lot to people. It's that's one of the great things of the internet is that we can find a community of people who were like-minded and I I still get a lot of grief from uh from posting the, the and and we'll talk about your app that you have as well the dearly departed app which is terrific. It has a a different death for each day of the year and uh some really interesting details that you put up there for each person and I will sometimes uh, I will admit that I will screenshot those and put those up on my page and I get a lot of a lot of <laughs> negative feedback sometimes. Oh yeah, I always say the people that get it really get it. The people that don't get it really don't get it, and uh, and that's fine. I just I always say I don't I don't understand stamp collecting. I don't you know I don't understand dog shows. You know some people's passions lay elsewhere. I just don't find it necessary to let other people know that I I don't care for it. I, I just you know the internet has given too many people voices. That's for sure. Yeah, I, w- I do want to talk about the trajectory how you got from. Um, Detroit out to Los Angeles and how you got into the, the getting your own tour company going and all that. Um, okay, well, I'll tell, I'll try to Reader's Digest it for you, which is another one of those <laughs> archaic terms, I guess. But uh, the uh, you know, I left Detroit when I was in my mid twenties. I moved to Chicago for nine years. I was sort of always interested in in the odd things like Dahmer and Gacy, and those were all you know Chicago related uh, things. Al Capone and and the cemeteries were really interesting. I didn't have a whole lot of friends back then when I first moved there, so I go to the cemeteries. I really enjoyed going through the cemeteries and finding these really interesting people. I'd never been around really famous graves before uh, in Chicago, and. Uh, so then it, it sort of parlayed into my meeting uh, a guy by the name of Greg Smith who had a company called Graveline Tours out here in Hollywood, mm-hmm. and they used old Cadillac hearses and uh, and uh, they did sort of what I'm doing now differently, but but sort of the same in a way. And I, I begged Greg to hire me, so I moved out here in '94, a week after the Northridge earthquake, to take over uh, the management of Graveline Tours. And uh, it was great. I mean, within within a week of my moving out here, I was giving tours, and I and I really really enjoyed it. It was, uh, you know, I always say living in L.A. is like a living in a giant trivia game. It's around every corner, something or somebody uh, interesting. You'll never know what's going to happen to you. I mean, just this afternoon, um, I was going to work, and I took a sidetrack, and I went to the. To the, this is only a few blocks from where I live. I went to the apartments where they where they filmed whatever happened to Baby Jane, and then two Ooh. blocks from there is the funeral home where Ben Crosby's funeral was, and a couple of other really interesting people. So you know, see all these little landmarks make L.A. living in L.A. a lot of fun. So um, 
Now, this is where it gets a little bit more complicated. I left Graveline in 96, and I moved to England for seven years. And uh, and that's sort of when the Internet took off. Because of my visa status, I, I couldn't leave and I couldn't work because if I left, they wouldn't let me back in, and I was in a relationship. And uh, so uh, after 18 months, I was able to finally stay. But uh, during that time, I, I couldn't leave, so I, it was making me crazy. So when I lived in London, I was going to all these locations, Judy Garland, Jimi Hendrix, Vivian Lee, uh, and all sorts of places where, where these awful things happened. And then the Internet came about. So I started posting things online, and that's when Find a Death came about. Uh, I just sort of virtual tourism at that point. There was nothing like it on the Internet. Back when I had to, you used to have to scan in image of, an image of, like, Ava Gabor or something, you couldn't, there was no images out there yet still. So right. um, anyway, I moved back to England. I knew how to do sightseeing, but there was no tour like that anymore because Graveline went under. And uh, so I started working for one of the normal, well, mainstream companies, we'll say. Okay, those companies basically will give you a bus. All that matters is that you have the driver's license. So they'll give you a bus to drive, and they'll give you a dozen people every two hours to take out on a tour. Do whatever you want. So there was a lot of people doing this misinformation that uh, that uh, had been handed down from terrible guide to terrible guide. And uh, I, I didn't like that. I would go and do my own research, and my, my own research took me to weird places. I was taking these, you know, mom and pop from Indiana to the, you know, the place where Hugh Grant was arrested with his pants around his ankles. And so my, <laughs> my tour took a different edge to it. And uh, ultimately, the company was, you know, they, they saw a good thing, and they had me training all their new guides. So there was this, you know, there was 10 kids going out every two hours with my information, and yet I didn't get paid for it. And I was only making $25 to do a tour. This, you know, so it was crazy. I didn't even get the, the cost of one ticket in my wage. So anyway, wow. I quit and I started my own company. That's a very uh, a long story cut very short, believe it or not. So it's been almost 15 years that we've, uh, that Graveline has been in existence. We weathered the, uh, the recession, and uh, so we're still here. It's awesome. Yeah, I, I have to vouch. I took it in uh, the fall of 2016. My producer there, Jamie, he had recommended it. He had been on it, and uh, I was aware of your tour, but uh, that was the first time I'd actually – and I come out to L.A. pretty pretty frequently, but uh, and we actually spoke in the lobby there, but I'm sure you don't remember because there are so many people that come and go, I'm sure. <laughs> but but yeah, it was well, awesome. I, yeah, I probably remember you, though. So what were we talking about? Do you, well, well, do you remember? we were just standing upstairs in your in your old building before you moved, the one on Sunset. Okay. And we were upstairs. Okay. At the, uh, I was looking over some of the very interesting artifacts, which we'll get into here in just a bit. Uh, yeah, and I was uh, just endlessly fascinated uh, by the things that you had uh, accumulated. <laughs> it was, oh, I'm so it glad. Was I mean, that, that's what's so fun. It's always been such silly things that I've collected over the years, but putting them all in one place is it was was pretty fun to do and then meeting people that 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 like it as much as they do that makes me so happy because i'm not the only one and uh, <laughs> oh no <you> know. <laughs> <laughs> far from it uh yeah the thing i i, I took a picture of the uh, the sink from Karen Carpenter's <laughs> the final home she lived in, <laughs> and that was there and i put that up on facebook and i got so much grief from that when Grief. I did. My you gosh, do. because you're, mem you're remembering Karen Carpenter. 
That's a, that's yeah, a terrible, terrible thing you did. <laughs> <laughs> there was that, and the uh, the door to the hotel room where Divine uh, expired, and I put both of those up. And I mean, it was just like an endless slew of people with negative. And I said, I I think this is endlessly fascinating. I can't <laughs> I can't get enough of it. And of course, you've you've accumulated quite a few things since then. I think you were in the process of getting the 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 Jane Mansfield car and you've gotten it since then i believe yeah we we moved a year ago from that location and Mm -hmm. uh now we're on santa monica boulevard right across from hollywood forever cemetery which is perfect and uh because we needed a place to display the car so now along with i at that point in my old shop i had probably six or eight display cabinets and now i've got probably 20 filled with things and this gigantic 20 by 8 piece of twisted rusted metal uh, that uh, that I was fascinated with when I was a kid, you know those. I mean, for all the for all the nonsense that was published in like that that terrible work of fiction, Hollywood Babylon, that Kenneth Anger oh, yeah. uh, wrote and destroyed a lot of reputations, unfortunately, and uh, his untruths have become uh, almost common knowledge as truth, which is sad. But anyway, he still published some amazing photographs, and I was I would sit and look at that crash picture so for so long. And I never ever thought in a million years I'd own it. And it's a, it's just this unique piece of Hollywood history. Maybe not the kind of history some people want to remember. That's their prerogative. But uh, some people collect bad movies. Some people love, you know, cult movies. Some people like slasher films. This is my thing. <laughs> well, I'm right there with you because I, I can't get enough of it. And I, I, I do want to talk about how you – what were the first pieces you acquired and how did you get into – I mean, obviously you were interested in it, but how did you start acquiring these these artifacts that, that you've picked up over the years? It goes back to uh, Detroit again. Now, uh, I mentioned that, I, that I've known five people. One of those, one of those people, her name um, – was Asaro and uh, Susan Asaro, and she worked at a deli very close to where I grew up. And she was abducted uh, from the deli parking lot and taken to this place, this house, uh, in a terrible area, and uh, you know, basically tortured and, and raped and ultimately murdered in this house. Now, I, for some unknown reason, I can't explain it. Uh, went to that house and I saw it and it was vacant. You know, it was a terrible neighborhood. There were mostly boarded up houses around there. And uh, I went back the next day with a screwdriver and I pried the address off the house. Now, I can't explain why, but I did. And <laughs> now I have that address in the lobby of my store. And I'm not celebrating Susan Asaro's murder, but I will tell you that for 40 years, no one probably said her name out loud, and now every day somebody learns about her. So uh, something I found really interesting was at, the, I was at the, the King Tut exhibit that was around, that's here in Los Angeles right now. And mm-hmm. I'd never heard it as an Egyptian sort of saying or phrase that, uh, that you, you die twice, once when you physically die, and the second time when the last person says your name out loud. And that that really struck a chord with me because that's exactly what we do. You know, it may not be the way they want to be remembered or, or would have planned to be remembered, but ultimately they are remembered, and that's more important than anything else. That's a great way of looking at it. That's pretty profound. I never I never thought of it that way, but but yeah yeah that 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 is that is true. And yeah, this some a lot of the artifacts that you have do keep 
the uh, the memory of these people alive. And I think the younger generations that are coming up, they when they see see these things or hear about them, and that kind of makes them curious uh, as well. And yeah, I, I mean, like the nicest compliment you can get. Is like when uh, uh, I'll get an email saying I, I looked up because of you. I looked up a Montgomery Clift movie and watched it. It was like wow, mm-hmm. that that was huge. That was so cool because of something I said or did. It prompted a uh, somebody to take action and uh, and actually be exposed to something. And now that person knows who that who that was, and they they'll be they, they're not forgotten. That's that's just it, and that that was the other thing that uh, I, you know we we every couple of years we we raise money to uh, mark a celebrity's grave. Uh, there are so many celebrities that have been buried. Uh, the motion picture country home out here, which is like a nursing home or a uh, retirement home for actors, uh, the, a lot mm-hmm. of people will die there, and they own cemetery land, but they don't they'll they'll bury them, but they don't have the means to buy a marker. So uh, so we've done it so far uh, six times, I think, for different actors and actresses. And uh, it just we raise the money and have a, a stone made and placed on their graves. Because nobody should be in an empty, you know, in a hole with no name on it, just a, just a place in the ground. I think that that's, uh, I think, you know, that, I don't know, people just shouldn't be forgotten. That's true, and I, I I know one of the ones that you were responsible for getting a headstone for was Johnny Arthur, whom I was a, a big fan of from the Little Rascal shorts, among many other things, and he just had such an interesting demeanor on screen, and, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, and, and he was such a he was just a source of mockery, really, and uh, and uh, he was just a fay. Uh, you know, uh, not not the most masculine of gentlemen uh, no. and, uh, on the screen, and and really, again, over in oversight. You know, he was he was buried in, in unmarked, and I saw it. I thought it was important at that point in my life to uh, to choose him. Uh, it sounds like I'm deeming some sort of magical thing. I don't mean it like that. I just thought for the first project that would be pretty cool to do, and that made me happy. Yeah, that that was terrific. Yeah, because he he was, and uh, I think. From what I read, he he suffered a stroke and just was basically financially depleted, which I guess is the case with a lot of these actors. We see them on screen, but we don't think about their actual personal lives, and uh, they've got the same problems a lot of us have with finances and you know just day to day living. And and I guess when something bad happens, and you know, and sometimes they lose their insurance. I guess if they're not working regularly and things, you know, so. All kinds of things. Yeah. What, what are uh, what are some of the others that you have gotten headstones for? Because I've, I, I'm not sure I've actually – I know some of them, but not all of them. I'd just be curious oh, to know well, which Jonathan one. Well, Jonathan Hale was one who was, the, who was most best known as her is Mr. Dithers in the Blondie comedies on television. And he was also in several episodes of Superman uh, with George Reeves. And he mm-hmm. – uh, uh, committed suicide actually with a bullet so i always say that he was stopped by a speeding bullet uh through his brain which okay i'll make i'll always go for a cheap joke always 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 a cheap joke and um that's and, one of the uh, things i love about you guys by the way <laughs> anyway so we did that i did susan cabot susan cabot was the wasp woman uh corman movies uh mm-hmm. she was a fast 
fascinating woman. She was go- she had a romance with King Hussein of Jordan, who actually had to dump her because he found out her name was really Harriet Shapiro, and that <laughs> wasn't too, uh, wow. uh, necessarily a good thing for the King of Jordan to be dating a Jewish woman. But supposedly they had a, a son. And the son, you know, I, she had a son, and they, the rumor was always that it was King Hussein of Jordan's son. But he grew up, he was a dwarf. He was, you know, a physical, you know, that's, a, that's a medical term, he was a dwarf, a smaller person. And dwarfs tend to be, um, have more physical maladies than midgets, because midgets are perfectly proportionate little people, like the munchkins. Dwarfs tend mm-hmm. to have more uh, physical issues. They are, I always say they are the uh, Oompa Loompas were dwarves. Sometimes they are, are shaped differently, you know, and thus their organs don't, uh, sometimes don't develop well. And they end up being very sad people sometimes. Hervé Villichet was one, mm-hmm. and David Rappaport, and uh, more recently Vern Troyer. So anyway, the son uh, was supposedly the, the offspring of King Hussein of Jordan. And one day Susan Cabot was asleep, and the son takes a, a, a barbell, and beats her to death with it. And then he hides the barbell in a box of Thai detergent and calls the police and said that ninjas broke into his house and killed his mother. And uh, <laughs> I know, right? And then he, the kid was uh, released because of uh, he was on an experimental uh, growth hormone that supposed, they say that was potentially the reason that he kind of lost it. So Susan Cabot was, was another one. And then last Halloween, we unveiled uh, Ken Weatherwax's grave at, at uh, Inglewood. I mean, um, Valhalla Cemetery. He was uh, Pugsley Adams uh, mm-hmm. on the 60s TV show, The Adams Family. And his family, uh, I, when he died two years ago, I reached out to the family, and I think they were li- just a little bit shell-shocked at the media attention. And uh, so they kind of backed into, uh, you know, they kind of closed up their walls for a while. And uh, But they weren't of means to, uh, to, to have Ken put someplace uh, permanently, so I, I I waited a couple of years and I reached out again and they were receptive. So we raised the money and he was buried at uh, El Valhalla Cemetery on Halloween last year. You, of course, you've done the documentary series. I, I'm, we're, we're all hoping you're going to do a volume three of the Dearly Departed because we love parts one and two. Oh, that's <laughs> and, great! Uh, I'm so glad you did. Oh yeah, it, it's great. Uh, my, I actually ran that for my for my mother, who was endlessly fascinated as well. <laughs> She's, this is great, but anyway, so uh, yeah. But in the second one, there's the Yvette Vickers story. That's what I was going to um, touch on because that's another one that I thought, and you were able to get some of the artifacts from Yvette Vickers, who was an actress in the '50s, and uh, just kind of forgotten. Yeah, she was she was an odd duck. Uh, she was her first uh, venture into films was she was an extra, a featured extra in uh, in Sunset Boulevard. You know, there was William Holden was going to use a telephone, and there were these two annoying women uh, giggling on the phone, and that's all they did in the scene. But she stood out, and she was in a movie called The Attack of the Fifty Foot Woman, but she wasn't mm-hmm. the Fifty Foot Woman. But she ended up getting this sort of cult status, and she'd go to these uh, sci-fi or horror conventions and sign autographs. But she was, an, like I say, an odd duck, and she wanted to be left alone. And basically, people left her alone. So uh, when she died up in her uh, in her uh, home in Benedict Canyon, uh, it was several months before anyone, you know, sort of looked in on her and found her there. And uh, she had been she had been mummified. I mean, she not. I mean, she just she died on the sofa. 
she kind of slid on, melted onto the floor, and uh, and uh, they couldn't even tell if she was male or female when they uh, when they first found her. So uh, so anyway, this house was sitting up there. It was like a tree house, and she was an she was a hoarder, and it was up in the hills, and you know literally trees were growing through her walls, I mean breaking through her walls, and the place was covered with mold. Somebody I know is a real estate agent said, uh, you know, it's on the market. It's for certain that it's going to be a teardown. Uh, here's the code. So I went up and got the key code, and we got to go through the house. And, and surprisingly, like her, um, her food was still in the in uh, the cabinets, and uh, and her medicine chest was still full of all her medicine. I was like, oh my god. And then I, I read in the autopsy report that uh, you know they couldn't tell if it was male or female, except for the fact that she had. Uh, her, um, a freshly, uh, no, not freshly, obviously, but manicured nails, manicured red nails. And I opened up the medicine chest. There was her red nail polish. And I thought, oh, my gosh, i got to have that. So I took it, <laughs> along with a few other things from the house. But, I, you know, but call me a thief. Fine. I don't, I don't care. I mean, you know, I, I, obviously I care enough to, to take, you know, liberate these items. But now people are talking about Yvette Vickers because maybe because she's so you know, bizarre, but still, they're talking about her. That's right. That's true. And she certainly would have been forgotten had you know the, the, if, if that things like that kind of shine, uh, remind people of who she was, or at least make them curious to to look it up. So yeah, I uh, well, a thing a thing about your tour that I thought was interesting is uh, your tour guides. I had Brian, I think, when I went on the last tour, and he's really knowledgeable as well. And I love the little tidbits that you drop, the information there. Uh, for instance, I know he mentioned we went by Lucille Ball's, the location of Lucille Ball's home that she lived in. It's not, it's of course not the same home now, but <laughs> the. And this is just an example of one of the random bits of trivia. Is he mentioned that Lucille Ball, when she was uh, had the fatal. Uh, Oh, I think it was her aorta burst. I believe was what killed her. Anyway, that's right. Yeah, the last, yeah, the last, the last heart attack. We'll just say that that she actually spent two hours putting on makeup, and they said later if she hadn't wasted those two hours putting on makeup, she may have lived a little longer because they could have fixed that. And it might not have been as, as uh, you know, as such a fatal thing as it turned out to be. So it's yeah. those little pieces of information like that that I find just endlessly fascinating. She probably and, uh, killed another pack of Lucky Strikes too. <laughs> while she was that's true. <laughs> <laughs> now you got an artifact from her home as well, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. When they were yeah, we well we have a couple of I, you know this is back in the day when you know we could do things that were crazy and not get arrested and wouldn't be considered stalking. We used to go out and drink ourselves stupid and then we walk through beverly hills at night and we're talking about midnight one o'clock in the morning i mean i hopped jimmy stewart's fence and i was going through his garden and uh and and lucy's house it was after she died but uh but it was empty for years and you know we yeah. peeked in the windows and and uh and uh one of the shutters was loose so i got 
Yeah, one of the shutters <laughs> because it was a dump, you know. And and now the house, the house is still there. The windows and the doors are all in the same place, but it's a very, very different house. And uh, and uh, we have part of that. And I have one of the lamps that was outside Desi Lu Studios where they where they filmed I Love Lucy. And I have a, a you know Brian probably told you on the tour but that wall of hers was actually used in the episode, the wall on the side of the house when they hopped uh, Richard Widmark's. Uh, fence to get a grapefruit. Uh, Lucy and Ethel were taking a Star's Homes tour, and uh, they got off the bus, and uh, actually in real life, in front of Jimmy Stewart's house, and then they walked across the street to what was then really Lucy's house. So the wall that they were scaling in the show was actually Lucy's own wall, and when they tore that down, they got a few bricks from that, too. So um, it's a little bit of television history as well as Lucy history. Yeah, that's fascinating. It really is. And uh, I know one of the recent artifacts that uh, that you picked up that I saw and you had posted was Milton Berle's <laughs> some, some medical <laughs> a medical bottle of Milton Berle's. We'll just say that. <laughs> you, you know, yeah, cool. it's it's Milton Berle's prescription bottle for diarrhea medicine. <laughs> because of his reputation as a real, I don't want to say the word, but <laughs> he of was course. not. He was not a nice man, and uh, no. and uh, and that's the other thing is I I don't I, you know they are I don't I don't set out to to be uh, mean, uh, but if if somebody's a jerk just because they're dead doesn't mean they're not a jerk you know mm-hmm. Bing Crosby was an awful human being, and so was Bob Hope, and so was uh, you know a lot of people Milton Berle especially because he was just he was just a perv. Uh, just a lecherous perv, and and mm-hmm. and I, I sorry, I know that I'm probably going to an area you don't want to go into, but no, so I thought it was rather appropriate to be his diarrhea medicine. <laughs> yeah, we, uh, my producer and I, we we saw that, and we we just we couldn't help ourselves to laugh, <laughs> right or wrong, we couldn't help. That's it. That's what. It's just, uh, and you know what? He always wanted you to laugh. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> He's doing it beyond the grave. Yeah, you talk about being Crosby, and I'm going to ask uh, while I've got you here on the line. I'm curious about this. I've always heard this story. Don't know if it's true or not. That being Crosby's house caught on fire, and he sent his children back in to get the the jewelry out of the house or something when it was on fire. Now I've heard that story, and I don't know if it's true or not. But that's yeah, I, I have now. never heard that story. That's a great story, and I wish it was true. Uh, but I don't know. I don't know. But it would just solidify his reputation to me. Um, but no, I, I've never heard that story. I might have to look that up. Yeah, I was. I heard that one recently, and in fact, they mentioned it on Gilbert Gottfried's podcast. Uh, somebody referenced it as well. So it's not just. I'm, I'm not the only person who's heard it. And they said apparently the story goes that he sent his his sons, the the two that that died fairly young, uh, back into the home to to retrieve some jewelry or maybe it was some some other artifact. But he he wouldn't do it. He sent them in there. The two that died young. Point. You mean the two that committed suicide? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no. yeah. No, it's like how many kids did have to kill themselves before you uh, realize that you were a bad parent? Anyway. <laughs> yes. so, I love Gilbert's podcast. He's great. Did you, did you hear the one about Danny Thomas? <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. The, the the story about the uh, the, the glass coffee table and that's yeah. They reference that so much, and uh, we we laugh. <laughs> we get a laugh out of that every every single time. He, it seems like he goes down that road with every guest he's got on. So it's that yeah. that and the orange wedge story uh, with Caesar Romero. <laughs> oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah, that one. That was another one. I'd never heard that one before. That's a good one. <laughs> Oh yes, 
So, uh, yeah, well, the other thing, too, is I, I recently saw that you had acquired some artifacts from Zsa Zsa Gabor and, uh, her, from her home and the stains. That was, <laughs> that was interesting. <laughs> yeah, there was some sort of a stain on her, what was it? The, the mystery uh, the stain, yeah. Yeah, it's one of those fancy pink little, uh, you know, not night, night, not nightgown, but she would wear pajamas and then you put this, like, the see-through kind of uh, robe type of thing, but it's really silky and uh, it's got these, you know, fuzzy uh, uh, cu- uh, cuffs on it. You know, it's just, just over the top, like like mm-hmm. with Lisa Douglas, like Ava Gabor, her sister used to wear on Green Acres, and uh, and the prince was up. And prince was the prince, her husband, her widower, was selling everything, and uh, and this 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 nightgown sort of thing, overcoat thing, was up there, and it had all these stains on it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. That's certainly a conversation piece. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, it's in, my, it's in my office now. And also, I have, like, a pack of about 30 of her, of her personal photos, like, you know, that, was put, that were put in a photo album. And they're were, they were all of her daughter, Francesca's 16th birthday party. I'm like, oh, my God, this is crazy that he was selling somebody's personal photographs. I'd yeah. rather, I would rather burn them than have them end up in somebody, somebody else's hands, you know. And, exactly. and we have these two gigantic concrete urns that were on either side of her, uh, of her bed. Or not of her bed, I'm sorry, of her swimming pool. Uh, mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, so, I mean, they're like 350 pounds each, these giant concrete urns. But uh, but they now are in front of Dilly Departed Tours. I also got this crazy. I, last time I was there, because after the, all the good stuff was sold at auction, all the all the cruddy yard sale stuff was the next two weekends up there, and uh, and I was up there last Sunday, and the Prince was you know I was looking at the shelf behind him with all these all this glass you know all these glasses, champagne glasses, et cetera, et cetera, plates mm-hmm. and things, and he says, uh, just give me three hundred bucks, you can have the whole shelf. So. All right, so we were there for about an hour packing up all this glassware, but uh, you know we have we have just seven boxes of Zsa Zsa Gabor's, you know, cups and saucers and things like that. <laughs> That's fascinating. I don't know what we're going to do with it, but <laughs> <laughs> well, it's there for anyway to add to the collection, I guess. But yeah, you know, one of the things this is another thing I wanted to mention too um, is in your Dearly Departed Volume One. I thought that was incredibly fascinating when you went to the apartment where Albert Decker uh, hung himself uh, accidentally, I guess. And and the lady had no knowledge that Albert Decker, the actor who played Dr. Cyclops and is also in The Wild Bunch, which is released posthumously, um, but yeah, she had no idea that she was living in no, this apartment. No, no, it's funny because my uh, our producer and director uh, Mike Dorsey, he lived in mm-hmm. that building. So on the tour, he and his mom took the tour first, and I, you know, and his building was on the tour. So he's the one that reached out to me later on and says, "Hey, do you want to do this? You know, this documentary with me?" And that's how the first one came about. So we were going to do a feature on Albert Decker, but and then since all the apartments were shaped the same way, we were going to use his apartment as the example. And I thought, well, what the heck? Let's just go knock on her door and see what happens. 
So uh, so I knocked on the girl's door who was in that apartment, and I said, you know, we're doing some research on this man who lived in your apartment, this actor, and I was wondering if we could, you know, use your apartment, if you wouldn't mind, just come in for a little while with the camera and shoot it. And she says, uh, can you come back in 15 minutes? I'm like, fine, yeah. So we came back in 15 minutes. She let us through. And her reactions were, were the, the you know, as as she was hearing it for the first time when we were shooting it. And uh, and surprisingly, she was really excited about it. And not, you know, not excited like somebody <laughs> holding a gun to your head, but, but I mean, excited in an in, in enthusiastic way. And uh, and she was excited because she was living in this in this in this historic place, and uh, you know, and Albert Decker, his his suicide, well, accidental suicide. It was autoerotic asphyxiation, which mm-hmm. most people know what that is. But uh, but on a spectacular level, I mean, you know, yeah. he, what he did was was amazing. And uh, and so it was a great story, and to be actually in the bathtub because you know I got in the bathtub uh, yep. was uh, <laughs> where it all happened. Yeah, it was it was something else. And you know what's funny? Here's a piece of trivia for you. Her name is, I, well, I don't want to tell you her name, but uh, she that woman. About a year later, I was watching television, and I love those TV shows where people eat things outrageously, like dryer sheets and and, their, and <laughs> sofas and things like that. And, yeah. and she was on because she would tear her hair out and eat it. Jeez. <laughs> and it's like, oh, my God. I think that is terribly hilarious, and, uh, <laughs> and uh, which is the whole point, really, I think. It is. It really is. Yeah, I was fascinated when I was, uh, like I said, when I was watching it. It, it, I was like, this lady has no idea. She has no idea. So, yeah, and and you also got into Jack Cassidy's apartment on that that the dearly departed volume one which you, you say was haunted so maybe they say yeah that's what they say it's it's cool isn't it that people will reach out to me that are in these places and say yeah come on up and uh it's the same with the Jean harlow house where she lived when she died uh oh, yeah. you know i just at that point i just collected all those invitations uh that people said hey you should come over sometime and uh and i and i reached out to these people and they were so kind to let us in and uh, and and all those people are are gone from those places now. So we mm-hmm. have it for posterity. Uh, these these things down in in video history now, and that's you know like me or not like me or whatever. Ultimately, these locations are where it happened. And uh, and uh, and I again, you know, I would I wouldn't be privy to that sort of thing uh, normally. So to me, as a fan. I would never produce anything. I would never be in anything. I would never host anything that I wouldn't watch. I would never collect anything that I, you know, would never buy anything that I, I uh, that I didn't think I would buy myself. I never do anything to drum up business. I do things to make, you know, to because because it's my interest and my passion, and and I'm so lucky that other people find it interesting. Oh yeah, it, it certainly is. And that was, uh, yeah, that, like I said, I couldn't re- recommend those videos uh, more to any of our listeners out there. And, and another one that uh, you were able to go to the actual location that's not there anymore is the Spawn Ranch in the uh, Helter Skelter one, because it, I, I think it burned, I believe. Oh, that's uh, the Barker Ranch. Yeah, that was the yeah, one the where their, ranch, the, the family uh, was arrested. Yeah, the yeah, last, the, the last. The last time Charles Manson was free, uh, the last time he breathed on the outside uh, was in the Barker Ranch when the police raided it. And uh, yeah, again, it's gone forever, but and, uh, but it's there for posterity in the documentary. And uh, mm-hmm. and that was something. That was being there was was weird because I you know it's the second time I had been there. The first time I had been there, 
it was one of the dumbest things I ever did. I mean, I was hungover. My friend and I drove there. It's 185 miles from L.A. It's a five-hour drive. 20 Mm -hmm. miles of that is off-road. 45 minutes driving from any phone signal. And all we had was like two 12-ounce bottles of water, and I'm in my Jeep. And, you know, so if you if you turned off your, your engine and it doesn't start up again, you're really out of luck. You know, you got a lot of hoofing to do. And the first time <laughs> we went, uh, inside it, there were, like, the beds were made and there was food. And, you know, and then also along with that, there are these, port, you know, pictures of Charlie Manson and things like that around. And, you know, and I thought, oh, this is weird. This is weird. <laughs> and then because I wasn't thinking clearly. And then I got home and I started thinking those people were probably up in the hills watching us because it's really isolated. There's nothing else around it, uh, yeah. uh, you know, within sort of three quarters of a mile in any way. So uh, so it was not practical. So the second time when we were doing this documentary, the uh, Six Degrees of Helder Skelter, these guys wanted to go up there. I said, the only way I will go up is with other and with other people and armed and and so we did go back a second time and I'm, and I'm glad we did but it, it was I, I didn't uh, I was petrified you know you don't know who was going to be in these places you're in the middle of the desert where you know literally no one can hear you scream and there's all these abandoned mines and you know the people that live in the desert are are, are fascinating you know desert rats they call them people that yeah. move out there to be off the grid you know they 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 go out there to be alone and they're they're an interesting bunch and uh, it was just a weird experience but i'm glad we did it yeah i am too because like you said gone forever and it's it's i i couldn't get enough of it it was it's was just fascinating so uh yeah well i'm going i'm you know, I don't want to keep you too much longer here, but just wanted to talk about your tour and what, what all you guys do offer on the tour so that people who are coming out to Los Angeles, our listeners who are coming out, can uh, will know what all what the variety of offerings you have. Well, our, our standard dearly departed tour that uh, they really put us on the map, we run it every day at, at noon, and it's a three-hour tour, covers about 70 different places where deaths and scandals happen, as well as, you know, we try to keep it lighthearted. So, uh, you know, you'll hear a, very, a horrible story, and then the next around the next corner is like a, a movie location or something. So uh, it's, it's, it's a well-balanced I always say it's a lighthearted look at the dark side of Hollywood. Now, I do a tour. We've had to shelter it for a couple of months because of the uh, the construction on the road, but we do a tour devoted strictly to the Tate-LaBianca murders. Uh, most people know them as the Manson murders, and uh, and that is something I, I'm, I'm quite proud of. And it's uh, it's well produced with video clips and audio clips, et cetera. And, uh, and that, that will we'll pick up again in the autumn. Uh, we do a tour devoted just to Marilyn Monroe. We have a tour devoted just to, to uh, Gene Harlow and just to The Doors, uh, Jim Morrison and The Doors. And, uh, and Allison Arngrim, who plays Nellie Olson or played Nellie Olson on the show Little House on the Prairie, who is a, is a hoot, uh, does her own tour with us. We, we drive the tour, and she narrates it, and it's all about her stories. Uh, she, you know, her dad was used to represent Liberace, and her mother was the voice of Gumby and, and Casper the Friendly Ghost. I mean, insane stuff. So uh, it's, it's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm currently putting together another tour, which hopefully will launch in the next uh, uh, few weeks, uh, the absolutely 
uh, 100% guilty murder tour, <laughs> and uh, and we'll be heading out to Brentwood and to some of the more uh, to the locations of the uh, the Simpson murder and the Goldman murder. So uh, so that will be uh, that's hopefully going to be on our agenda very soon. No, oh, that's terrific. and the museum that's, that's... is open every day. Uh, the uh, just so you can see all these odd artifacts. Yeah, I know. I can't wait to get back out there and see your new location because, like I said, you guys were in the in the um, in the old one. You were getting ready to make that transition, I think, last time I was there, and so I haven't been out since you made the move. But uh, now I noticed you said something about there were some hauntings in your old location. I was curious about that while I had you uh, that you I'd seen reference to that on one of your that, that maybe there was a haunting there or something you had encountered. Well, yeah, I, I, because of what we do, our our business attracts people that are interested in in the paranormal, and uh, we have a lot of people that are you know psychic mediums that also uh, take the tour. Now, I'm not, I believe in all that stuff, but I'm also just to clarify, I'm not desperate to believe it. I don't need to believe it. I, I go in very skeptical, and uh, I and I you know yeah prove it, you know that kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And we had a a couple of you know, things banging around in that old place. I, I don't know exactly what it was, but, uh, you know, we, people have been touched. I've heard voices. We hear creaking, footsteps, the whole bit. And uh, people offer their uh, their theories. Some people, when somebody said it was Rudolph Valentino, and it's like, okay, sure it is. You know, of course, <laughs> and, and in my past life, I was Cleopatra. It's never some guy that was, you know, hauling water. And <laughs> like, it's always somebody, mm-hmm. you know, like that. But anyway, it turns out that Valentino's office was right across the street. And it's quite possible that Valentino had something to do with the neighborhood. So there's uh, there were connections. And... Uh, uh, yeah, so I I I think that uh, the one really messed up thing was well, I had a friend, and again, this is California, the land of fruits and nuts, right? And uh, <laughs> a friend of mine, Roger, I shouldn't even said his name. My friend uh, who passed away was a member of the Church of Satan. Okay, I do not subscribe to that whatsoever. I like Roger. We were great friends. We didn't talk about that at all. In fact, I found I have an aversion to that. I find that uh, uh, offensive. But when Roger died, he had all these things that were used in rituals. Now, when he died, we were cleaning out his place. It's like I could not in good conscience throw those things out because I don't want some kid grabbing a robe and and running around with it, doing it for Halloween, when it was actually used in these rather, I consider, sinister ways. So uh, so I took all this stuff, and it was in my shop, and, and I didn't want it. I did not want it at all. And uh, but I felt a responsibility to not let it be just strewn about. So we lived just uh, next door to Blessed Sacrament Church, and I contacted the priest over there, the parish priest, and and asked him to come over to the shop and and bless the shop and also these items because because that kind of stuff really disturbs me. And uh, so one day he did. We and he brought over. Of course, a friend of his was the consultant on the uh, the last Exorcism movie, and uh, and he mm-hmm. brought along this prayer book, and he gave it to me. A part of it, he gave me. He kept a copy, and I had a copy. And he says, "What we're going to do is lay out all these things right here." And we did on on top of one of my uh, on top of one of the bookshelves. And I locked the door, and he started with the prayer, and I joined in, and he did this, and he did that. This is all very. You know, probably not what you wanted to get into, but uh, but again, no, I feel very strongly about things like this. 
So um, anyway, as soon as he started doing it, uh, this guy comes up to the front door. And we have a lot of homeless people in L.A. But this guy was, I'd never seen anything like him. I mean, he was like just black. Just a, he was, I mean, he was a dirty man. You know, he was wearing all black. But his hair was falling in front of his face. He had no features. Uh, it was just this, this man kind of shuffled up to the door and started pounding on the door and ringing the doorbell. Now, we're about 30 feet from this, you know, and I'm looking at this guy. And I'm like, okay, we're just going to ignore this because we're in the middle of something. And uh, But it was almost as soon as the priest started that sort of ceremony, ceremony or whatever you want to call it this guy's coming up and he's pounding on the doors etc so finally the priest you know he gets finished with everything and uh and i said well that was weird wasn't it?" i said and he says what was weird i said that guy at the door he goes what guy <laughs> you know? so Ooh. i mean i you know i'm not saying the guy wasn't there he had to have been there but the priest had no idea of it it was just a weird thing to have happened at that very moment and uh you know so i i don't i do believe that uh I don't believe in coincidences. I do believe that there's 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 a lot of weird stuff that goes on, and uh, the more I'm exposed to it, the more aware I am of it. And uh, like when we mm-hmm. spent we spent the, uh, the the New Year's Eve at the very location where the Mansfield crash took place. Now Jane Mansfield did a did a movie called The Girl Can't Help It, and Little Richard sang mm-hmm. the theme song from it. And I know the song, but you know it's not a well known song. We are leaving the crash scene, and on the way home, the girl can't help it comes on the radio. Now, I'm like, okay, this is too much. The Little Richard song, the girl can't help it, on the radio? You never even hear anybody playing it ever and on no. the radio. So to me, that, that that's not a coincidence. That means that that was some kind of shout-out, uh, I think, from Jane. So, uh, you know, call me crazy. That's cool. I believe what I believe, and, I, and I'm not desperate to, for you to believe that. Uh, I'm just saying that these are the things that happen to me, and and uh, and I choose to uh, feel this way about them. Yeah, a lot of unexplainables, that's for sure. And I'm sure you see it being in that that business more than the average person too, as well. So yeah, well, um, I guess we'll just uh, we'll we'll wrap it up real fast. I uh, just wanted to also mention, of course, the findadeath dot com website that you have. And it's uh, it's as good as any book that you're going to find out there about dead celebrities. <laughs> and this has been going on since what was it, 1996, when you started this, I believe, or something like that. And yeah, something just, like that. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, a long it, time. Yeah, it is, and and it's incredible the uh, the the photos and the and the trivia that you'll find for any of our listeners out there, and, and you're constantly adding things. Like I said, Danny Locken, who's a star of the film Hello, Dolly, uh, you've just added a, a piece on him, which was interesting. And, and there's uh, a lot of people that we, we know, and, and we know them maybe in a positive light, but then you get to reading here and you see some not-so-positive things about him. I, I know Steve Allen was one that came to mind. He came across as a real jerk when I was reading his entry on your thing, which kind of surprised me. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. Uh, I mean, he was a great entertainer. You know, so was yeah. Burl. So was Bob Hope. So was Bing Crosby. Yeah. But as beings, a uh, different story. So yeah, there's, yeah, there's lots to be learned here for any of our listeners. Uh, I would highly recommend that you go there. So, so anyway, but yeah, we really appreciate you coming on our show and talking to us about all these. Uh, these stories that uh, you're so knowledgeable and all, and you're 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 the guy, and, and telling us about your tour and all that, and so we're just we're really appreciative for you taking the time to to come on. 
Well, I, I appreciate you asking. I really do, because I, I, I love this stuff, and it, I'd say it makes me really happy that other people are receptive, and I get to share stories, and, and these people don't get forgotten. Yeah, we. Uh, my producer, he's been fascinated with the Krista Helm story, and he's done uh, – he, he did an episode – uh, on our show, an audio or a podcast uh, of uh, this series that he started called Tinseltown Tragedies, and one of the episodes was the Krista Helm case. And mm-hmm. we got a little press from that, and he actually went on the Mysteries and Scandals show that was on Oxygen. They they put him on as an authority on that sort of thing. <laughs> so Yeah, yeah. So, that's uh, a bizarre he, story. Uh, yeah. Yeah, a really, really I – mean, in fact, that's going to be on my murder tour, the Crystal Home murder, because it's just so well, – that's interesting. Again, it's one of those things. It's like, how can we know, know, how can we not know about this? And uh, so, yeah, that, that, was a, that was a good one. I'd love to find that little black book of hers. Yeah. Is it, well, uh, just out of curiosity, is there anybody who you've been interested in as an amateur sleuth maybe – Anybody that comes to mind that that you have been fascinated by their unsolved murder or anything of that nature? Sure. Well, there was a there was a woman uh, called Karen Cupsinit. Are you familiar with her? No. Uh, Karen Karen. Well, her father was Irv Cupsinit, and he was a columnist from Chicago. And he and Mayor Daley were in cahoots. And they say if it wasn't for Cup and for uh, Mayor Daley, JFK would never have been elected. Uh, you know the Chicago motto. You know, vote yes. vote. Well, a vote often, I think is I forget what the, the joke phrase is, but it was uh, <laughs> don't forget to vote and vote often or something like that. But anyway, uh, Karen Cupsonit was uh, an actress, not in anything I can name, maybe a couple of soap operas or something. And uh, she lived very close to, in fact, just around the corner from Jack Cassidy in West Hollywood. And, uh, gosh, the year, uh, well, it was right after the Kennedy assassination, I think. And uh, her good friend Mark Goddard, who most of us know as uh, uh, Don from Lost in Space, uh, found her uh, murdered in her in her apartment, and she had been strangled, and a particular bone in her in her neck had broken, and she died as a, as a result of that. And when they were doing the uh, uh, the research on it, you know, she was a bit off balance too, and she was stre- sending threatening notes to ex boyfriends, and I think she was a little. I think, well, her mother, uh, Effie Cupsonet, sort of put her in a bad place. You know, they were rich socialites, and, you know, they would call her fat and things like that. So she was uh, a bit neurotic. And also one of the last things that they claimed that they saw her do was, was on a payphone saying something like, the president's going to be shot. And and so it became a JFK thing, too. And yeah. uh, it's it's a really interesting story. But her name is Cupsonet with a K. And uh, Karen is K R K A R Y N, and it's a it's a it's an interesting story. It's on it's on Find a Death, uh, and uh, it's still unsolved. And you'll you'll read a lot about how what a little uh, fascinating case. Yeah, I'm gonna have to investigate that. I appreciate you bringing it up. Yeah. Uh, well, before I let you go, Jamie, uh, my producer, he wanted me to ask you two things. He's getting ready to do a thing about a helter skelter again, but not on the actual case, like people who were involved in the on the peripheral. And he wanted to see if you could maybe give us a soundbite on two things he had here. He he was interested in maybe some characters that were on the periphery of the Manson case, like um, I, I don't know if if uh, you know of any. He was just curious about people who were. I guess like Stephen Parent, who actually you know, accidentally was there. 
and just happened to yeah. be uh, pe- people of that nature. He was curious about uh, anything that you knew about characters on the periphery, and and he was also interested in the climate in the city in the aftermath before it was known the identity of the killer. He was curious about what what the what the climate was in Los Angeles before they actually knew that it was Manson. Uh, when everybody yeah, was, yeah. I guess, very fearful. So. Well, the crimes changed everything because up until up until the Tate murders on Cielo Drive, uh, everyone thought they were safe in their own beds. And after this, you weren't. You know, Abigail Folger was literally reading a book in bed when, within minutes, became one of the most famous murder victims in American history. So after that, the crimes went unsolved for four months. There was nobody, nobody was arraigned for those crimes or charged with those crimes for four months. So it really did a number on people's heads because, you know, this is 1969. Although, you know, things have changed, the climate in the country, Vietnam, and all those sorts of things were going on in the Black Panther Party, uh, it's still, there was, there was sort of a, I don't know, a source of innocence, it seemed, you know, and, and all of a sudden you had to lock your doors and windows in the middle of this hot summer because somebody's going to come crawling inside of your house and kill you. And it happened. It happened two nights in a row. And then there were all these sorts of weird other murders. Like there was, um, there was, uh, uh, a guy, uh, do you remember the Lennon sisters? Uh, yes, I do. Were, yeah, the, yeah, from the Lawrence Welk show. Well, their yeah. father was murdered shortly after the murders, uh, the Tate murders in in Marina del Rey. Turns out to be, you know, it was a stalker that did it. Peggy Lennon's stalker did it, and he ended up blowing his brains out somewhere. But for a while, it happened so close in the proximity of the Tate murders that they they were trying to put all these things together that they may be all related because they were so seemingly random. And so were the Tate LaBianca murders, seemingly random. I mean, 40, 50 years later almost, uh, we know that they're not. I mean, these were not random. They, these people all probably knew each other. And uh, but it did it, 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 after that. I mean, everyone was scared to death, and and the people you know were buying guns before the you know the sporting goods stores were selling one or two guns a week. We're selling hundreds a day, and I remember being a little boy in Detroit, and I didn't hear about Manson until uh, the movie Helter Skelter came out. And uh, because the death penalty was overturned and those people mm-hmm. became eligible for parole, I thought they might get out. And I was afraid Charles Manson was going to come crawling up the side of my house in Detroit. So, uh, And Manson was a boogeyman. Manson stepped up to the plate. Manson was only five foot two, but he, he was charming. He had charisma, and he also uh, knew that the effect that he had on people. So he played it up. You know, he was just this little five foot two man in prison, and and he had to behave like a lunatic because he'd have been eaten alive in prison. You know, so uh, so he played it up too. And it's never been proven that Manson ever killed anybody. That's that's the thing. We know for a fact that he tried to kill a couple of people, but it's never ever been proven that Manson is responsible for anyone's uh, physically responsible for anyone's death. So. Um, this whole story, movie stars, rock stars, uh, and murder, I mean, it's a magic combination. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious to see how it's going to be portrayed in the Quentin Tarantino film next year. So. You know, he's got, a, he's got his mind in the right place as far as 1969 goes. I mean, it's only going to be uh, one part of it. Uh, there's, it's a trilogy, sort of like Pulp Fiction was, and this is just one mm-hmm. part of it where one of the characters lives on Cielo Drive. Uh, next door to where the Tate murders happened. But he's got the right idea as far as his uh, uh, portraying Los Angeles. I can't wait. I can't wait to see what he comes up with. Uh, I'm very excited about it. (laughs) 
Oh, we are too. We, we're just salivating at the thought of it. So. Yeah, yeah. but next year you're going to be inundated. It's the 50th anniversary next year, and uh, there are all kinds of things. You know, CNN's going to do an eight-night you know event, and everyone's going to be putting out a documentary. It's uh, it's it's going to be an interesting time. Mm-hmm. 